Zatujcie. 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 Recording now. Right. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Blind Podsman. We are a podcast dedicated to all things Zatuichi. I am your host, Patrick, and with me, as always, is Jason. Jason, how are you doing? Uh, I'm getting there. After this uh, latest film entry, which I guess is in honor of Ghoul Summer for oh. our podcast pals, uh, Junk Food Dinner, who we've yep. had like a couple of those guys on here already. Well, at least Parker Bowman. Yeah, Parker and then Kevin in the future. Um, yeah, so this is our Ghoul Summer episode, in case you're not familiar with Ghoul Summer, which I'm assuming most of the people who listen to our show are, or maybe not. Um, so every year, our buddies over at Jung Food Dinner, um, they uh, they do a thing called Ghoul Summer, where they tend to save up the uh, worst movies, and by worst, I mean like the really depraved, awful stuff, uh, for two episodes during the summer to go over. Uh, Junk Food Dinner is a movie review podcast. It's hosted by uh, uh, your friend and mine, Parker Bowman, and along with uh, Sean Byron and uh, Kevin Kevin Moss. Um, and uh, we, are, we are surprisingly doing our own version of it as well. Uh, in fact, even my other podcast, uh, The All Kill Cast, is having a ghoul summer episode, if mm-hmm. you believe it. Um and uh, this is ours. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about a little movie called The Blind Menace, starring Shintaro Katsu, and was also directed by uh, Kenji Misumi. Um, now, those two names are obviously familiar to our audience because Shintaro Katsu played another very famous blind man who we talk about, uh, who we've talked about 16 times before this, Satoichi. And uh, Kenji Misumi is actually the man who started the series. Uh, he directed the very first Satoichi film along with a few others, as well as Lone Wolf and Cub. Right. Um, so this movie is interesting because it is, it's not really the first like major like Shintaro Katsu film, but it was kind of his breakout role. Um, like, uh, as you were mentioning, uh, the, the website that, um, a website that does some pretty good summaries mentioned that, uh, Shotaro Katsu is not a handsome person, <laughs> so uh, he he didn't really do so well. Uh, yeah, as in the handsome man category in Japan, but he is a good actor, and this is kind of one of the first uh, big films that really showed him off, and it's also pretty fucked up. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, fits in well with the theme of Ghoul Summer, We're talking about depraved films, because this does not go in league with. Uh, the classic Zatoichi hero tale. Uh, in fact, this is like the antithesis of that. This is a complete opposite. It's um, wow, that dog is squeaking away. Yeah, sorry, sorry that's the, that's the studio dog. Uh, Yuki, come here. Stay away from that toy. All right. Anyway, back to our regular scheduled programming. Um, Got it. Yeah, there was. I thought I could talk over that, but that was not happening. <laughs> I was like, oh, that dog is really into that toy. 
Hang on a second. I'm going to grab it. No, that's cool. I mean, if he's like, if he's chill, it's fine. Okay, the toy has been disposed of. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. want to deprive that dog of fun, but if it's like... They'll have to wait until we're done. Okay. Well, we'll make it quick then. So anyway, <laughs> um... <clears throat> so in keeping with the theme of Ghoul Summer, this uh, film, which its English title went by a few names, it had uh, The Blind Menace as the most popular title. Also went by Agent Shiranui... Uh, excuse me. Shiranui. And Shiranui is the um, alias that the main character dubs himself when trying to turn a new leaf about three quarters of the way through the film. We'll get to that later, but uh, that's the reason for that name. Um, Japanese title was uh, Kengyo Shiranui. And again, like taking that alternate name, it's, it's a film of not unlike Zatoichi about dichotomy, but it's on the reverse angle of it. Zatoichi's a hero. He's good. This guy, uh, Suganuichi, is what the uh, person's original title is. Shintaro Katsu's character's original name. Uh, tries to reinvent himself as this better, less depraved person for the public eye. Um, it's fascinating how it kind of mirrors the Zatoichi ideals not necessarily the formula you don't get like gambling the sword play that does occur is frantic and limited it's not the masterful strokes that like zatoichi provides and yeah it's it also um it's kind of weird but i actually think that this character would make a fantastic zatoichi villain yes oh man i didn't and it was only when you said it that it made sense to me. Like, I did not consider that beforehand. But you're right. This would be a perfect Zatoichi villain. We've seen Zatoichi encounter, like, uh, more blissful, blind uh, uh, compatriots in his travels. Like, people who are a bit more heroic, a bit less violent, or who preach nonviolence. In this case, this guy is just a, comp- a depraved lunatic, just a sociopath. Uh yeah, he has zero redeeming qualities to him. Like, he he is in all intents and purposes, like, an ultimate villain. Because at the very least, like, Zatoichi can be a shitbag, but he's a lovable shitbag. And for the most part, he's just kind of, you know, he's not, like, uh, vicious or mean. But this dude is, like, awful. Yeah, with Zatoichi, you get a sense that he's trying to create some sense of balance in karmic justice. Like, he goes to gambling dens, but he shows up the cheats of the of the uh, gambling uh, thugs or um, he might go to like a whorehouse or something which society societarily would be like excuse me which would be like frowned upon but uh, he's a complete gentleman about it like he's a good guy in this case this guy is like this character of Suganuichi is not redeemable at all like even as a child we start off seeing this person as a kid and he's already like cheating people out of stuff there's a communal like sake uh sake well i guess like a sake bucket that people are just taking cups from and like moving on and a it looks like a kind of a carnival or a community event 
And then he comes across it, and when no one's looking, he shoots a uh, snot rocket into it and then tells everybody, oh, it's been contaminated. I'm blind, so I didn't know that I could get my, like, my boogers in here. And then takes it back home. And he's like, yeah, I fooled everyone. It's, you know, just some of my stuff, but what is it between family? It's really gross. Yeah, it's super gross, <laughs> and it was not the way I wanted this movie to start. <laughs> yeah, and it only just goes downhill from there as far as depravity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we see, we see the pull and, and that's what, like, uh, as we were discussing before, I, as bad as it is, like, I could not separate this character from Zatoichi. And what I mean by that is the fact that, like, because Zatoichi has the same mannerisms, the same kind of, like, rolled back eyes and stuff like that, like, it was entirely too similar to the point that, like, it wasn't bad, it's just that, like, watching this after seeing, you know, 16 of these movies, it's kind of, it, it is basically Zatoichi's evil twin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's interesting. Like, again, I had not seen that while I was watching it. I was taking it more of like a, a prototype of Zatoichi just because of those same mannerisms being there. Like you can tell that Shintaro Katsu is, is getting into the character of this, uh, of this blind character. So a lot of the mannerisms, ticks, they're all there, but the character's other behaviors and like the follow throughs on certain uh, vile actions are just, are just so unlike what we're used to. Plus this guy is like shaven bald. He does not have like a, uh, the classic Zatoichi scruff on his face, nor does he have like the uh, kind of buzz cut hair. No, not at all. He's he's a hundred percent hairless. He's a he's a hairless, ideologically free boy. <laughs> yeah, he's a free boy, and a <laughs> terrible one at that. So, uh, it, one of the one of the other things. Uh, this is actually more or less kind of. This is after. Uh, now the movie very briefly takes place when he's a kid, like very briefly. I want to say maybe the first five or some five or ten minutes, and then. We jump to when he's an adult or a teenager. It's kind of hard to tell because they all look like old men. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's a scene where he comes across a man in a field. This is pretty much the first, not the first, but the second or so instance in which you learn that he's a bastard. Um, so he uh, he also has a friend who is not a psychopath that kind of just is sort of like the reluctant, uh, the reluctant... Um, accomplice yeah accomplice yeah Yeah. (laughs) and um so he he comes across this guy in a field who apparently is having like a a way worse cramp than i've ever seen anybody have because i didn't know cramps could be that bad um and he mentions that the guy mentions that he runs a freak show and he's on his way to this village to buy a boneless woman yes I wish they would have expanded on that. Yes, I was very curious to know what that that meant. But um, yeah, very much so. I that struck me as well. Uh, so he mentions that he was going to buy her for two hundred Rio, and um, uh, what I keep wanting to call him Zatoichi. I'm just going to call him Ichi. It's Ichi. Uh, <laughs> Suga no Ichi. Suga. We'll call him Sugo. Suga. Suga. Okay, so Suga decides that he is going to kill this man and sticks a needle in his neck and says, there, you won't have cramps for the rest of your life. 
wink, uh, because <laughs> right. you're dead. Right. And then proceeds to rob him. And then just actually funny enough, just like um every uh just like every uh Zatoichi, not every Zatoichi movie, but of most Zatoichi movies, the main plot starts to unfold as he's walking along a field, um, which mm. is where he meets severed head Kuroichi, Kuron, Kurokichi, Kurokichi, I think was his name, um, who then, uh, who did witness the murder, so he decides to split the money with him to keep him quiet. And says that they'll meet up in another town to maybe do work together, which it turns out he's a thief. Um, so in order to prove his acquaintance with this man, uh, Korokichi gives him an amulet with his name on it. At which point, Su- Su- I keep wanting to call him Suga? Suga. Right? Jason? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's Suganoichi, although Suga no I'm not Ichi. sure it's, if it's a Sugano, but the Ichi part is similar to Zatoichi. And as we discussed in a previous episode, Zatoichi is a combination of words where Zato means lowest class, Ichi means number one, like right. an Ichiban. And I could not find anything about Suga or Sugano before this episode. And I'm I'm wondering if there is like a similar connotation here where it's something like Sugano means false number one or something like that, which would fit in with the rest of the story as we go into it. But um, unfortunately, I didn't find out any specific details about that. So he takes this amulet and decides to plant it on the body, (laughs) Um, which I actually saw coming as soon as he asked him for like proof of their acquaintance. I was like, oh, God, he's going to put that on the body, isn't he? Um, So we should get into a little bit about uh, what his profession is he's this is more uh we learned a lot about uh blind people history in japan through zatoichi and you learn a little more here i guess they're um mobilized as different professions like musicians masseurs and then what is essentially a banker is the highest one you could be um he uh he's under the uh the apprenticeship of um Oh boy, do you remember the name of the guy's profession? Um, it's a she she something. I think it's a uh, Kengyo Shuri, but yeah, the, the, he's really a butcher in it. But it's and basically a masseur, right? Right, but he's like the head of the masseurs, but he's also like a banker too. Like he's a money lender. Yeah, a money lender. Yeah, and. Now, this is especially uh, interesting because it seems like that would be like a hard profession for a blind man to get into, seeing as like the kind of reputation they have in Zatoichi is that they're poor, uh, mostly because like they don't really have a lot of opportunities. But um, also keep in mind that the Kengyo is the highest rank of that class. So like right. this is a masseur to uh, like shogunate, nobility and yeah, stuff. princesses, all that kind of stuff. So you know this guy's going to get God eventually. Um, yeah. Because, of course, you know, along with being a complete scumbag, um, he also happens to be the, uh, our main, I guess, uh, Sugano happens to be a, uh, a very ambitious con artist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have him uh, doing work for this, uh, for this Kengyo, 
who, and this is where it starts to get really fucked up. Now, the murder already is pretty bad, but this is where it starts to get worse. Um, he's been requested by the Kenyo to go see uh, a customer who they're going to deny a loan to. Um, so he goes and he meets the lady of the house, in which he says that uh, he will give her the money under the pretense that, of course, that she sleep with him. Um, so this, of course, happens, which I think is kind of odd because whenever they show sex in this movie it's always kind of just like hugging sort of like they hug and just kind of put their faces next to each other but not even like like close to kissing at all Mm. um of course this isn't like legitimate like uh um you know this isn't like a legitimate sexual relationship this is obviously rape pretty much um it's actually funny because uh ariana my co-host on uh, the All Kill cast watches a lot of K-dramas, and uh, you can't kiss on Korean television, mm-hmm. so whenever they do a moment of intimacy, it's always a hug. <laughs> That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, but this um, is, like, it's far from being intimate. Like, he is no, most definitely is forcing in- himself on her, and right. she's denying every advance. Uh, so, yeah, for... This woman is extremely reluctant. Um, so... Later on, uh, of course, because he was told to, to, to say no to this woman, uh, in front of the master of the house as well as his boss, he tells her to hand the money back over, pretty much saying that, like, hey, I asked you to hold this. So, of course, this woman's humiliated and she hands it over. And then um, she goes back, basically begging him for the money. And, of course, same deal as last time, except for the fact that now he'll only pay her five Rio at a time. Um, so this guy is a total piece of shit. And, yeah. uh, sh- should we mention the interesting fact about this actress? Uh, may as well. Um, yeah. She's a very, I mean, aside from the fact that this person is very compelling, the actress is Tameo Nakamura. She plays Lady Nime Imai in this film, the one who's like, she's trying to get money for herself without her husband, the, uh, the master of the house in this situation, knowing um, so she thinks that like in this weird, in this, in this weird interaction with this masseur who had agreed to lend and had thrust himself on her and essentially raped her that, okay, maybe this money will be paid out. And then he asks, like, okay, yeah, the safe keeping that you had uh, provided for me. I want that back in this bizarre, humiliating interaction. These two actors, got married after this. Mm-hmm. So Tamao uh, Nakamura and Shintaro Katsu were married for like 35 years. Yep, right up until the day he died. Yeah, and, and this interaction continues. Like they, uh, again, like broken and humiliated and talking afterwards, she goes to uh, Suganoichi afterwards and he expects it and he's already got a plan for this. He's planning to provide five Rio at a time. She was asking for 50 Rio, by the way. He's willing to provide five Rio at a time for each day that she visits. She's with... still working, by the way. Yeah. Yeah she, yeah, she still has a bunch of projects coming up. Looking really? pretty good for 78, too. Cool, cool. What is yeah. she doing now? Uh, she's in. She was just in a TV series. She's in three movies coming up, another TV series. She's yeah, she's been pretty much actively working since uh 
1954. Excellent. Good for her. Yeah. And she and Jatara are really good in these scenes together, despite it being so difficult. But yeah, it's really uh, interesting to watch. And we we even glossed over another part. Like, this is only about 40 minutes into the film. And beforehand, um, I'm sorry, there are sirens. They're coming to arrest you for watching this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. It's ghoul summer, and we know you're there. <laughs> uh, before this interaction, uh, Suganoichi is with his... I guess, accomplice character, as you put it. And there is yet another rape in this film. Like, and that one's even more deceitful. Not that there's like even a comparison, like it's all disgusting. But uh, he encounters some robbers, re-encounters like a few that he had run into before. The, um, oh, what was the nickname provided uh, severed head. Severed head. Severed head. Yeah, he encounters severed head again, and there's like a maiden of the house who has passed out during a robbery while Suganoichi is performing a masseur visit, and he tells these guys like, "Oh, they hid this money somewhere. Like, if you already killed them but left the girl, that's fine. Um, if she's passed out, I'll tell you where the money is." And then proceeds to take the girl back to his place, tells his accomplice to leave for an hour, pretends that there's some home invaders coming, and then in like what he tries to produce as a fit of passion, like, oh, there might be people at the door, so we better like huddle close, proceeds to rape her as well. So there's like three or four film rapes and like allusions to rape in this movie within 40 minutes. And it's 1960 yeah. when this film was produced, by the way. This is like two years before Tales at Tuichi. So, yeah, at that point, I had to walk away for a bit. What about you? What were you up to? Um, I watched the whole thing in one go. Okay. I <laughs> felt very... Uh, Ill? Uh, skeeved out. I, I think I texted you right after that part, and I was like, well, this movie's pretty fucked up. Um. Yeah, man. <laughs> Um, again, just to reiterate, like we we know Zatuichi the hero. We we're not familiar with Suganoichi the villain. Yeah, so this no, is it's, a bit strange. It, you know, it's actually funny. Is I'm thinking about our next episode where we go back to watching regular Zatuichi movies. Oh, it's going to be a relief. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I can't remember the last time I had to take a break from a film, and not to like overstate it, but like this stuff, especially the way that this film does it, is pretty and uncomfortable. This movie seems it's. It's hard to say. It seems kind of not low budget, but like very kind of like, um, I, I guess sort of gorilla made. Like it's very thrown together, just kind of like how the first Satoichi movie feels. Mm. And like, there's also this like kind of creepy score that's always present, like yes. during the movie too. Yes, yeah, the music is definitely weird in this, especially during like the ending scenes where it kind of approaches something that seems like more folksy and regal. I don't know how there's, like, it's a mixture of both. Uh, there's, like, a some sort of harp being played, but it sounds twangy. Yeah. It's creepy. It's like it's like it's from a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And, like, this movie, like, it, it, it's really weird because, like, a lot of movies tend to kind of, uh, especially, like, older Japanese films or, like, older movies in general tend to give you this kind of satisfaction that, like, the main villain gets his comeuppance at the end. But you almost don't really feel like that um, at the end of the movie, 
mostly because like you expect him to die. Yeah. <laughs> but like that doesn't really happen. In fact, you're not even totally sure he ends up like going to jail. Like he gets arrested, but at the same time it's like, well, I mean, you know, the police back then aren't exactly the most like on the level, so maybe he ends up paying them off and getting getting out. I don't know, you know. Well, that's the thing is um to cover some of the ending, uh it's it's that person that he was trying to frame all those years ago with that like that Chekhov's amulet that he introduces so early on. He's like, I'll just plant this amulet that this crook gave me on this dead body so they'll get him. You know, it's a weird maneuver for him to pull, but it comes to get him like some 15, 20 years later when he's finally achieved status, when he's after he's murdered the the reigning Kengyo Masur and taken that guy's place, he ends up like trying to be en route to uh, provide a Masur session for the Shogunate princess. And that's when he's arrested. But he's sold out by the guy that was being framed for that murder. Like people severed come, head. Severed head gets caught and is talk and is basically like we found your amulet on this guy from a murder that happened twenty years ago or fifteen years ago or however long ago it was. Time is kind I of think, I think it was like seven. Okay. At that's, that point. That's actually a more fair number. That makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, this this movie jumps around quite a bit. Um like I said, like in the beginning, like the it starts off with him as a child and then it jumps to him as a teenager and then after he kills um after he kills his uh, successor or his predecessor um it hops up yeah years and also it kind of reminded me of scarface in a weird way because like all of a sudden like there's this jump and he's rich (laughs) so yeah yeah it does have that like too fast rags to riches criminal lifestyle sort of thing to it It'd be tight if, like, just like there was just a montage with push it to the limit or something, <laughs> right? Right. So yeah, like when he gets a when he gets arrested, my feeling was that his own underworld, because he ends up recruiting um, severed head and some of those cronies as like his main main dudes, his main thugs, and the fact that they sold him out because they realized that at least for Severed Head, he had sold them out years ago. I don't think that there's anybody to really back him up or be like, oh, you need bail money? We'll get that for you. Because everybody else hates him. Like, the name The Blind Menace comes from one of the associates to him once he achieves Kengyo status. And and, uh, Suganoichi ends up going after this uh, renowned beauty um, nearby takes her for a wife and yeah and he's just like and that was all pretense by a bet so there is gambling in this film because they're trying to bet like who's going to be the first one to like be with this woman i also think it's interesting that like when they were like showing around uh when they were showing around like uh a picture of her it was just like kind of like that like um that hokusai style like painting and i was like is that really how they would like do portraits back then yeah and like yeah absolutely he's like he's like touching it and stuff and it just in the back of my head i was like dude you don't even know what she looks like like yeah these are (laughs) these are just swift line drawings man my dude yeah it doesn't give you any articulation like we saw a uh in the previous film where he's with a kid 
and the kid's an artist and the kid's drawing like his own mom, Satuichi is able to like determine, oh, the eyes are here and the face is here. So I'm not sure how Suganoichi determined the looks and features of this woman from a like a more caricature drawing. And then he sees her in a dream, too. That's which is right. one of the stranger sequences in this movie is uh he's dreaming about playing the shamisen and he's not blind. It's just that, you know, it's uh it's Shintaro Katsu like with his eyes open. And that is weird because like I'm not used to seeing Shintaro Katsu with like using his eyes to focus on things. Yeah. And it's it's a really odd kind of um it's just a really strange like it's a strange movie in general like mm-hmm. just like uh, I mean of course it's pretty screwed up but I mean like he has like this weird like kind of dream where he's just playing guitar while Shinisan for this lady yeah. and like you don't really know what it's supposed to mean like is he supposed to be like in love with her but obviously he really isn't in love with her because he's you know not capable of that yeah he's just obsessed and the dream itself looks like something out of like like it was aiming for something from uh, an American in Paris that Gene Kelly film where he has this like fantasy sequence I think it's I think it's him dreaming of power and like the idea of having this trophy wife is like a sign of power to him yeah I yeah right like and that and like his perfect life because in this one he has sight and he remarks in this movie a couple times about like how being sighted is a bit better, which Zatoichi would never do. Zatoichi realizes his advantages. Yeah. But Suganoichi knows the disadvantages and is self-deprecating about it a bit more so than Zatoichi. Or at least, like, feels at fault for it somehow. So in the dream, he's got sight and can, like, you know, play the guitar and have a perfect life. But he's not going to have that because he's done so much horrible stuff. Right. And it's just, it's such a odd fit like it's it's just odd because like it's it's still because of course the inevitability of like comparing like um sugano uh suganoichi to zatuichi is that you realize that this is like this is could this is what zatuichi could have become if he was a bad person like yeah like because this is this guy embodies like all the things that ichi isn't like he's he He's, you know, awful towards women. He's a murderer mm-hmm. for the sake of being a murderer. Like, Zatuichi's constantly in conflict with the fact that he has to kill. He's envious of the rich. He's envious of the sighted. Like, he's he's the polar opposite. And it's it's what makes that so interesting is that this is before Zatuichi was a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's almost not... If this movie was made in, like, 1965 or something, then, yeah, you could see how like the how intentional it would be but like it wasn't this is before this is two years before the first Satoichi film and even though the story still existed like if you read the short story there's not like a lot really to work off of so much as just kind of like this basis for this character that like the directors and the writers have all built off of and it's you know it's almost like I would almost say it's kind of it's not required viewing for a Zatoichi fan, but it's definitely like, it's definitely like worthwhile for sure. You know, especially if like you're, especially if you're like, kind of going through like a character study like we are. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you ever get frustrated with some of the Zatoichi films in tying up loose ends, because some of the Zatoichi films, admittedly, like a critique that we 
we tend to come across like, well, whatever happened to this character or why did this happen? This film doesn't really pull any punches with that. Um, anything that's introduced usually gets resolved or has some purpose, maybe except for the accomplice roommate through uh, Suganoichi's childhood to young adult life. But you could argue that that guy is just kind of a stepping stone. And he's kind of non-consequential for a bit of the film anyway. Like he's yeah. there and he's accepting of his lot. He's more like, he more or less doesn't really like, he doesn't really like, uh, and so what I'm looking for, he kind of doesn't really contribute to the plot so much as just being like, this is like the one like human aspect of him is he has this lifelong friend. Oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, he's the brother, isn't he the brother to, uh, the woman who's looking for money lending? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then never mind. Yeah. He's got. Even he has, like, a purpose for the story going forward. Uh, so that's, to me, that's what makes this movie so interesting, is that everything kind of comes around, even if it takes a couple of years within the within the story's time frame. Yeah, like, especially, especially with what, uh, what, uh, it, it's also kind of interesting, too, is the fact that, like, because these, Zat- like, Zatoichi movies tend to, like, resolve themselves in a matter of, like, days, like, this t- this movie takes seven years to, uh, to come to its conclusion. <laughs> yeah, so even, like, the childhood sequence that takes place, that's kind of interestingly transitioned because the uh, childhood sequence t- uh, ends with the kid looking for some money that he was denied. Like this young Suganuichi has already tricked somebody out of money. And then like his friend feeling bad about being part of this con job, like throws the money on the ground. So Suganuichi is like looking for it. And then it transitions into young adult or adult Suganuichi, like crawling around in a, in a sleepwalking state, like looking for money that isn't on the ground and is interrupted by like his, then roommate who's like what are you doing he goes oh i was i was dreaming dreaming about being a kid um so yeah like it it transitions well but it does take place over a long time it's giving you an idea of like how this person started off being so malicious so evil and then like what that meant for him as an adult and it's also like I, I kind of feel like the director is trying to give you like little slivers about him being like, I guess having like human, I guess like uh, human emotions, but like, it's kind of, it, you're so far removed from the idea of this guy not being a complete monster that like, it's sort of lost on you. Oh yeah. 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 Like, he's so slimy and, and hateful. Like this guy is just the worst, uh, which surprised me going into this because I, I think we both like, uh, when discussing this film beforehand, thinking, okay, this could be our ghoul summer film. Um, we knew it wouldn't be as bad as some of like ghoul summer films that you'd find in the seventies and whatnot. But for 1960, it's no Niku but, <laughs> right. but for 1960, this is, it's pretty out there. And I did not expect it to be this, like to be this horrendous for 19, for the year 1960 cinema. Right. Yeah, like it's it's uh it's pretty intense and like um Japan had like this is more or less kind of like the 80s that this sort of existed but there was also like a weird time period where like these kind of like 
torture pink films were popular, which, uh, mm. yeah. yeah, personally, I like my sex and torture at different times during the day. Sure. So it's not really for me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, this kind of actually seemed like a quasi sort of ver- <laughs> quasi sort of version of that. Um, but like a proto version of it. And, uh, but it, like, yeah, this, I mean, it's not really a pink film by any means. Cause I don't know anybody. I don't know if this was explicitly designed for anybody to like get all. I certainly hope not. It was designed for someone to get off to. Um, but it's, it's a really like, it's a really like, uh, I almost don't know what really to make of it, to be honest. Like, it's definitely, it's it's a slimy-ass, like, uh, it's a slimy-ass crime movie. Yeah, you mentioned Scarface earlier, and that's probably a good comparison, because there's no redeeming qualities to this. In fact, it's worse than Scarface with regards to being a morality play. Like, at least Scarface is like, that guy's too ambitious, and that's it. Like, he wants yeah. the trophy wife, he wants all the money, but he gets lost in cocaine and does too much too fast and, and too illegally, obviously. Like, he's he's murdering people and stuff. But in this case, like, this is a guy who's just taking what he wants along the path of getting everything. And he gets everything. Like, he reaches the highest status, and it's only because of this weird thing towards, like, his the beginning of his career as masseur where he murders someone and plants evidence for somebody else on that person. And that's what comes back to haunt him. So I, I don't know what the moral is. It's like, don't try to frame anybody when you're, you know, murdering and taking advantage of people on your way up to the top. Like this yeah, film and- is just like, he gets caught and then there's an extended sequence at the end where he's just trying to avoid the initial arrest. Right. And also, like, the fact that um, there isn't, like, a lot of hard evidence against him either. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's the accusations of Korokichi, but at the end of the day, like, I, I, I don't know how the Japanese legal system worked by then, but, I mean, like, the body was holding that guy's amulet. Like, so it's kind of like a, the word of, like, this rich, like, uh, quasi-noble to this thief, you know? And that might so, be it, because, like, at the beginning of the film, uh, Suganoichi's mom, who is drunk and destitute, like, he brings his sake back to her. She, realizing that he's blind, is like, you know, if you uh, if you ever achieve, like, Kengyo's status, but you won't, because you're not born of noble birth, and you're not rich. So, that's kind of, like, the impetus for him to be, like, oh, maybe I should become that and just do anything it takes to become that. So, like, that means murdering the current Kengyo and taking his place, which he does. Right. But he's he's elected the help of all these other criminals. So what it instead becomes, it's not so much like one rich man against the word of, like, one criminal. It's a bunch of criminals who are like, yeah, this guy's played us for too long. Their voices against... And they have witness to all of his crimes. It's almost like an FBI trade. It's like, hey, you seen this guy do illicit stuff? Let's hear about it, and your your sentence will be shortened. Yeah, what I or or you're immune, you know. Right. So it's but like, then 
then there comes the question of like, do these guys have some kind of like loyalty, or are they just gonna be, or is you know Sugo Nichi just gonna be like, hey, side with me and I'll pay you a shitload of money, which he's capable of doing. I mean, I don't think so because from and I'm only going by uh, movie Yakuza stuff that we've seen because Yakuza bosses seem to have more honor and at least like trust, well, trust and payment, I guess, than. The Kengyo would. The Kengyo is like the best that Suganoichi could achieve in his world, in his vision. It's not that right. he was like smart enough and good enough. It was his status. So everybody he interacted with knew that he was a scumbag. Hence, like that line where that guy's like, "This guy's a blind menace. I hate him. He sucks." <laughs> like, hey, you said the title of the movie. Yeah, you <laughs> said the you said the titular line. So yeah, everybody he interacts with, whether they're like other criminals or noble elites they're like this guy's the worst so i don't think there's going to be a lot of people running to his aid with bail money or a kind word for that matter they're like yeah "Yeah, this guy killed this person killed this person took there's an somebody options up like a 16 year old girl that's about to be sold by her parents to pay off debt uh he's supposed to like the narrative that they're trying to say is like you come in and like save her and then do whatever you want with her and then move on to something else. So they all know his actions and they probably have like a lot of dirt on him. So yeah, I think he's the worst. And I think that the arrest is pretty much his end game, but it just takes so long. Like they just draw it out for so long. Like they let him draw his own sword, for instance, his ceremonial sword. It's weird. They didn't like kill him on the spot for like drawing a weapon on them, but Mm -hmm. it's just, it's such a, Man, it's a. Uh, I don't know. Like, I just didn't really get like a the satisfaction at the end that like he was done for, the way that like I feel like you would with like other Zatoichi movies. Like, you know, he's you know, assumedly he goes to trial and then is subsequently executed, but you don't really know that. You know, you don't get that sort of like ending. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, um, uh, did. This is a weird analogy, but I might as well go for it. Did you ever see The Devil's Rejects by a Mr. Rob Zombie? Yeah, uh, Robert Zombie. Robert Zombie, yeah. I'm familiar with his work. So, spoiler alert, uh, the maniacs in that film are shot down to one Leonard Skinner's uh, Freebird at the end, if you'll remember that. I'll have to I'll have to cut about two minutes of silence between you saying spoiler alert and that sentence just in case any of our viewers had not seen The Devil's Rejects yet. Right, but that film like it gives you that satisfaction that you were talking about. In this case, yeah, like the most satisfaction that we get is that Suganoichi's like pontificating ceremonial hat, that cap that he wears when he's on his way to like preside provide masseur services to the uh, Shugenite princess. Right. That gets knocked off. And there's an intentional shot of that happening where it's like, your hat's gone. Your status is gone. You're powerless now, just yeah. like the Pope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what happens. So I think that's as close as we get in him being tied up, finally. Which is coincidentally like the cover art for the movie, wherever I saw it. Oh, yeah, the DVD cover of him getting uh, tied up and then subsequently poked with sticks, I think. If I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. I don't know if that stick part is just me making stuff up because I feel like I remember seeing sticks, but maybe I'm wrong. 
Oh, no, he's just being tied up. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I just like the idea of, like, Japanese punishment is you get tied up and then, like, poked. Yeah, like, does this hurt? Can you feel this? Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we could pretty much just give our overall uh, final thoughts on this movie. Jason, you want to go first? Um, excellent film. I will never watch it again. It is a bit too... Uh... A bit too many scenes of uh, rape in this one. Not that there's like a limit. Usually, like it's any allusion to it, I'm done. But uh, that's what does it for me for this film. If you're watching the Zatoichi series like we are, it's probably required viewing. But otherwise, if you just want to watch some good swordplay, stick to Zatoichi series and avoid this. Um. I, you know, honestly, I, I think it's, a, I think uh, if you can stomach it, you absolutely should watch this, though. I mean, like, it's such a, it's such a weird companion piece to the Zatoichi series. I almost kind of feel like it should have been included in the box set. Um, really? It, Interesting. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's like, okay, you love Zatoichi. Well, uh, how about this? <laughs> um, it, it's, it is, I mean, it's, it's a good movie. It's a it's a really good movie. Yeah. It's just it's tough to watch, and like you said, I'm not really not super down with watching this one again. Um, do I think it rates on the Ghoul Summer scale? Absolutely. Um, but it's a it's a tough movie. It's a definitely definitely tough movie to sit through. Um, I would recommend it though, at least. What it, but like I said, with our warning that this movie has a lot of rape in it. Yeah. Um, so the, trigger warning. The death scenes are not as brutal as some of the more recent Zatoichi films were, that we've seen, where like people are getting uh, stabbed in the eyes or having limbs just cut off in like one-shot sequences. But that first murder scene where the guy's talking about a boneless girl, like not only is like the boneless girl check kind of creepy, but uh, he's performing acupuncture and oh, he doesn't get him in the neck, but he gets him in the shoulder. Anyway. Yeah. Um, not so much that, but there's some like there's some other death scenes in this movie that are kind of brutal. Uh, also, that, blood on his skull, like towards the end, which is we didn't see blood in Zatoichi films until about maybe like six or seven films in. Yeah, when you bring up the sword play in this movie, I mean, we're right back to like early Zatoichi, no sound of contact, just kind of swiping it on somebody like you're wiping a butter knife on a napkin kind of thing. Yeah, and when, um, when Jitaro Katsu brings out his sword at the end, it is frantic. Like, it is a last-ditch effort uh, by a desperate man, so it's not like it's going to be exciting uh, Chambara stuff. Man, wouldn't that be incredible? He just, all of a sudden, just is like a last like <laughs> vestige of this absolute shitbag who's had this incredible life it just turns out he's a master swordsman yeah yeah you didn't you didn't include those scenes of me practicing swords down by the river <laughs> i'm a master with this katana um yeah i mean it's the acting is also especially really especially from shintaro katsu like i we're kind of uh, of course this is so similar to zatoichi it's hard not not to compare it but i mean like guy has really good acting chops you know yeah, um, from the stuff I was reading, like this, as and as you mentioned earlier at the start of this episode recording, uh, this was like his first attempt at just doing something different instead of just trying to be like the the uh, um, the sexy boy, the matinee hero. Yes, yeah, the equivalent yeah. of like a matinee hero for Japan cinema. Like he he couldn't be a sexy boy, but what if he was a villainous boy? And um, and then yeah. 
his wife is uh, also a very that, that's almost kind of touching actually that whole story <laughs> in a really weird way was now, she doing like, you... a similar thing huh was she like just trying to find a like her regular footing for acting at that time no she she was in a bunch of stuff pretty regularly um okay. yeah uh, she was in a bunch of a bunch of stuff actually, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure like you spent what like ten twenty years living in Japan. I'm sure you saw her in some stuff. Yeah, all those decades I was in Japan, I yeah. saw like everything she did. Uh, I, I'm sure your your grandfather um, probably saw her in a couple movies too back in the fifties. What was Tomoshiro Frisbee? Okay, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is after, of course, he got off uh, trial for all those war crimes, but we're not going to talk about that on this podcast. Uh, innocent, innocent <laughs> till the day he died, and then we and then we can talk about it. But and then yeah. we found the medals. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, that is like a heartwarming story to come out of what is really a vile film. Again, oh, I can't, yeah. I'm surprised this was like okay to, to do in 1960, but it it kind of carries the same weight as stuff like from. I don't know, there's like Shakespeare that's just as bad as this, like Titus Andronicus. It also that. helps that unlike most school movies, it doesn't really feel trashy though. Like it feels yeah. like a And the camera work and stuff is really good. You described it as gorilla, and I agree with that. But they do some really interesting stuff all the same. Like there's these shots, these one shots where the camera like will dart back and forth between people. And that's not very common in some of the Zatoichi films that we saw. Usually it's like a steady shot of one person delivering a monologue, not these dialogue shots that we see in this film. Yeah, and, you know, like, it's difficult to, I said before, it is difficult to quantify it as a ghoul movie because it is a legitimate, like, crime drama. So, but I mean, it's as close as we're going to get to this podcast, so. For sure. Yeah, it's it's not, it's not ghoul in the gory, absolutely depraved sense, as you mentioned with, like, pinky films and whatnot. Yeah. But this is a... It's it's as ghoul as it gets for uh, the blind podsman. It's not like we're going to watch like beautiful virgin torture or something like that, you know? No, they can I'm... save that on junk food dinner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they can do that there. Um. So, do you have anything you want to plug for the end of the night? Uh, sure. Uh, check out Pool Party Radio. Um, we mentioned Parker Bowman of uh, Junk Food Dinner, and he's also the premier like co-host for pool party radio where we talk about just about anything and everything and patrick's been on there so you can check out old episodes and find him um and we do our own version of ghoul summer episodes i believe this year we'll be checking out some faces of death uh in a sense it's the tamer version of ghoul summer if that gives you an indication so check that out well that sounds like an exciting episode could be I believe it will be. Um, you can catch me on the All Kill cast where we are also doing a ghoul. Well, actually, also just like this, I kind of feel weird calling it a ghoul summer episode because we're talking about the uh, the worst year in K-pop history, which is 2014. And uh, I kind of don't want to call it a ghoul summer episode because people in real life died. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I mean, real death is ghoulish, too. Yeah, real death is very ghoulish. Um, especially... Uh, because some of it can be contributed to uh, the mishandling of, um, you know, uh, the mishandling of certain. And so, like, we talk about the Sawal ferry uh, accident, which I'm sure you remember since it wasn't too long ago. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. We also talk about the uh, ladies code accident, which killed two members of that group. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the, it's the dark one. So please check it out if you're interested. Um, yeah, that's about it. So, uh, for the blind Posman, for, uh, my, for Jason, myself, uh, good Shintaro Katsu and bad Shintaro Katsu, uh, good night. Misakiya Hanagara Makura Tayo Kazeni Oareta Sasura Imonoyo Shinde Oh